0: We are currently considering the Lord's Supper as taught in the Larger Catechism. It started from a question that Jerry asked me, and I thought it would be something that would be good for all of us to consider. So that's what we have. Uh, we started actually a couple of weeks ago, and we'll continue tonight. Just to remind us a little of the background of the Larger Catechism. Remember, there's the Westminster Confession, the, larger, the Shorter Catechism, the Larger Catechism. They are all parts of our constitution. They're the theological portion of our denominational. Constitution. when elders and deacons are ordained, their oath of office is to uphold the system of doctrines that is outlined in the Westminster Confession and Catechisms, or as it's known, Westminster Standards. Um, the Catechism was written a long time ago, in 16, the 1640s. After a lot of fighting, England and Scotland signed a solemn league and covenant in 19, 1643, which had, which said that both countries shall endeavor to bring the churches of God in the three kingdoms, that's England, Scotland, Ireland, to the nearest conjunction and uniformity in religion, confession of faith, form of church government, directory of, for worship, and catechizing, that we and our prosperity, posterity after us as brethren live in faith and love and the Lord may delight to dwell in the midst of us. Now that... Never materialized. Uh, England never left Scotland alone or Ireland. They kept on fighting. There was a needed uh, a needed uh, uh, deal made between Scotland and England because Cromwell was running out of money, uh, or actually Charles I. By this time, still was running out of money to fight the war because he wouldn't open Parliament. But that's what gave rise to the Assembly. So shortly after that, the Assembly was called to meet in Westminster which is just across the the way from the Parliament, and they met there at the Abbey. And when the, uh, the Westminster Assembly was established by the English Parliament, it took the responsibility for preparing the catechisms very seriously. Now, as Christians are known to do, there's a lot of debate. For four years before any catechism was written, So from 1643 to 1647, they debated about the catechism until in 1647, the assembly decided to write not one, but two catechisms. And that made the the work a little easier because they could write one for children. That's the one we call the shorter catechism. And then one for adults, which is the one that we call the larger uh, catechism. And that made their job a little simpler. And so they made the motion that the committee for the catechism do prepare a draft of two catechisms, one more large and another more brief, in which they are to have an eye to the confession of faith and to the matter of the catechism already begun. And just a year later, they were able to produce the catechism because they had already done so much work. So they had just to organize things. In 1648, they produced the catechism and the General Assembly of Scotland adopted it right away. The, the, the England never adopted the standards but Scotland did, and it called the larger catechism a directory for catechizing such as have made some proficiency in the knowledge of the grounds of religion. So if you're just a little more than a babe in Christ, then you'd be ready to memorize the larger catechism. That's what he means by that made some proficiency in the attempts of of religion. Things have changed, right, Uh, quite a bit. (laughs) We don't memorize, uh, well, much, (laughs) Uh, we, we even think that memorizing the Shorter Catechism is things that you do at seminary at the highest level of, of education, and that was not what was intended. So that's just the background that, 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 that led to the writing of the larger catechism. It is adopted by almost universally every Presbyterian Bible-believing church in the world, uh, not just English-speaking world, but in the world, and is also part of the standards of the Bible Presbyterian Church. Next, last time we were together we looked at this one question. What is a sacrament? A sacrament is an holy ordinance instituted by Christ in His Church to signify, seal, and exhibit unto those that are within the covenant of grace the benefits of His mediation, to strengthen and increase their faith and all other graces, to oblige them to obedience, to testify and cherish their love and communion on one with another, and to distinguish them from those that are without. As a side note, I, I think the assembly, the men in the assembly, did not like periods. It, they just don't use them. They use semicolons uh, throughout the, uh, the the questions. So this is one we looked last time. If you have if you missed it, if you go to our website, you can listen to that lesson. You can go to one of our podcasts called uh, OBPC Lessons. You can listen to that there. Tonight we're going to try to look at three. Questions. Two of them, just general questions about the sacraments. We should be able to knock that of those out pretty quickly, and then actually talk about the one that asks, "What is the Lord's Supper?" Which is actually the subject of our study. Um, we're going to start with. So the one we we studied was one question, one sixty-two. Tonight we're going to do one sixty-three, one sixty-four, and Lord willing, one sixty-eight. And but we're going to do one sixty-four before one sixty-three because I think it's easier. So we're just going to get that out of the way. And question 164 asks, How many sacraments has Christ instituted in His church under the, the New Testament? The answer is, under the New Testament, Christ has instituted to, in His church only two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So that should be pretty straightforward. It so should need a lot of explanation. Uh, this, question, this, this question answered, stands in stark opposition to the Roman Catholic teaching that there are seven sacraments. We believe the Bible teaches there's only two of them. The New Testament clearly set apart these two ordinances together with preaching the Bible and reading the Bible, praying and communion with the saints as means through which God dispenses grace to his people. So we have baptism and the Lord's Supper. There are no other rituals prescribed to the church in the New Testament other than baptism, and the Lord's Supper. And all the Old Testament rituals have been fulfilled in Christ. That's why we don't practice them. That's why we don't sacrifice animals. That's why we don't have a a period of purification after a woman gives birth. That's why we don't do those things that are aligned in the Old Testament, because the book of Hebrews tells us that all those things have been fulfilled in Christ, so they're not for us. These are the only two things left for us. Any questions on that? All right. So question 163, what are, by the way, so 163, right? So we still, and we still have the entire Lord's Prayer and a bunch of theological things. So we're going to the two, the 190s in the larger catechism. We are not tonight or anytime in this series, but the larger catechism goes all the way to the 190s as far as questions go. So question 163 asks, what are the parts of a sacrament? The parts of a sacrament are two. The one, an outward and sensible sign used according to Christ's own appointment. The other, an inward and spiritual grace thereby signified. Does anybody want to take a stab at explaining what that means? Anyone? 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 There's a physical aspect and a spiritual aspect. Great, yes. There's a a physical aspect and a spiritual aspect. Uh, aspect uh, in the sacrament. That's exactly what it's saying. And it's also saying that in order to, part- to, to partake of a sacrament, in order to, to call the thing that you're doing a sacrament, you have to actually do it. Right? it, it uh, that, that's what it means by an outward sens- sensible sign. Sensible here is not reasonable. That's how we use the word sensible today. Uh, it means perceived by the senses. So physical, something you can touch, see, hear, smell, feel, right? So uh, just thinking, for example, about the water, just think about the bread, just thinking about the wine is not the sacrament. The actual pouring of water on the head in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit needs to happen in order to be a sacrament. The actual eating the bread and drinking the wine together with the saints needs to happen in order for it to be a sacrament, that's why that first half of the question, the physical side. Without the physical side, you don't have a sacrament. Are you with me so far? And notice that it's not a minor detail. This is not a minor detail. It is according to Christ's own appointment. The gray, underlined, bolded lines there. Doing the sacraments correctly is important because Christ appointed the way to do it. He, just, he didn't say, just go figure out, do whatever... You want crackers and apple juice, or um somebody's telling me a story that during COVID somebody said, Would, that's the communion. use whatever starch you have in the house and whatever liquid you can drink, and that's going to be the Lord's supper. Christ appointed a particular way of doing it. And that's why. We are so particular about how we do things here. We are trying to follow Christ's own appointment of the sacraments. So, physically doing the thing that Christ has appointed uh, is necessary for it to be a sacrament. Just thinking about the water, just thinking about the bread, just thinking about the cup. That's not enough. You you need to do it. Think with me for a moment. Remember the occasion with the angel of the Lord... Kind of chasing Moses, Zipporah, and the two boys to kill them. It wasn't enough for Moses just to think about circumcising his boys. He had to do it. And Zipporah had to do it in a hurry, otherwise, the angel of the Lord is going to kill them. Paul didn't ask the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19. He finds these disciples in Ephesus and he asks them, Have you been baptized? They say, No. He doesn't say, just think really hard about water and you'll be baptized. No, he actually pours water on them. The same with uh, uh, the unbelievers in Corinth. They weren't getting sick and dying because they were just thinking about the bread and the wine. They were actually partaking of the bread and the wine. That's why they were getting sick. So there's something important in the physicality of the sacraments. But on top of, in addition to that, in or, in order for the thing we're doing be, to be a sacrament, faith and grace need to be present too. Not just the spirit, the, not just the physical, but the spiritual as well. It's not just the eating of the bread. It's not just the drinking of the wine. It's not just having water poured you that makes a sacrament. This has to be a spiritual reality to it, to it as well. The pouring of the water by itself, apart from the significance of the pouring of the water namely, engrafting into Christ, is not a sacrament. Eating the bread and drinking the wine, apart from the significance of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is not a sacrament. It's happy hour. It's not, a, it's not a sacrament because there's no spiritual reality to it. The water, the bread, and the wine are important because they signify something. And as one partakes of these elements in faith in Jesus Christ, God conveys to them the grace associated with what they signify. Both the physical and the spiritual need to be there. It's not based on my faith. It's based on your faith. It's based on the work of the Spirit in your heart as you receive the sacraments. Any questions on this before we continue? All right, a long quote. This is from Johannes Voss' commentary on the larger catechism. It says, that is to say, by Christ's appointment, when the outward sign is rightly used, with true faith, the spiritual grace which it stands for is actually given or conveyed to the recipient. God, by His Holy Spirit, bestows the grace on the person who uses the outward sign aright. So in this sense, we may affirm that there is an instrumental connection between the sign and the grace. The grace is conveyed not by the sacrament of itself, But by the Holy Spirit. But inasmuch as the sacrament is a divinely appointed means of grace, the Holy Spirit honors it by bestowing the grace where the sacrament is used aright. So where people are partaking the sacrament correctly, where they're doing that in faith in Jesus Christ, God does give grace to those receiving. When when it's done in faith and done it correctly. There's a union between the elements and the grace of God that is brought about by, by faith. Uh, Paul's clear about that in Romans chapter four, when he talks about circum- uh, Abraham's circumcision being a means of grace to him, because he did that in faith. In Romans six, he speaks about um, baptism, uh, when it's done properly and so on, is a sign of uh, engrafting into Christ, therefore we don't have to sin anymore. So there's these two elements, both the, spirit, the physical and the spiritual, need to be present in order for it to be a sacrament. Any questions? We need to get up and run a little bit. A couple laps. I want Keith to get you some water. Um, okay, uh, grant to take some. <laughs> All right, so then question 168. <clears throat> we finally talk about the Lord's Supper more specifically. And question 168 ask what is the Lord's Supper? The answer is, the Lord's Supper is a sacrament of the New Testament. We're in. By giving and receiving bread and wine according to the appointment of Jesus Christ, his death is showed forth. And they that worthily communicate feed upon his body and blood to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace have their union and communion with him confirmed, testify and renew their thankfulness and engagement to God and their mutual love and fellowship each with other as members of the same Mystical body. That's what the Lord's Supper is. It starts by saying this is a sacrament of the New Testament. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's prescribed in the Scripture? Yes. Where? In the New Testament. Exactly. We don't have to be super deep here. It's not in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, it's prescribed in the Scriptures of the New Testament. That's what it simply means. So, simply means that though it was typified in the Passover, it was not instituted till the night before Jesus died. And I'll get to, to that arm Oh, it's Scott Griffith. will so I got you in just a second, Scott. In 11 in 1 Corinthians 11:23, we could go to any of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, but in going to First Corinthians 11, 23-25, Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So it's, it's revealed in the New Testament, but it's also a new covenant as opposed to Old Covenant uh, sacrament, there. Scott Griffiths. In the middle, where it says that they that were... We'll get there. Did we only talk about the see the underlined, bolded part. That's where we are. <laughs> Slow down, Scott. Man, he hides behind the pole, and then you know. Okay. Okay. Now that the next bolded part, underline, it involves both bread and wine. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time talking about that, no, whether you want to say it's wine or grape juice, but it involves bread and the fruit of the grape. Um, you can go back a couple of years. We did a whole series. It's been lots of years now. A whole series on this and why we are going to use alcohol and so on. So just, uh, so what, what is important is just having one of the elements that's not the Lord's Supper. Just eating the bread or just drinking the cup it's not the Lord's Supper. Bread and wine must be present for it to be the Lord's Supper. That's why sometimes we chase people that uh, uh, got the bread, but then had to get out because of a baby or whatever. We chase them down the hall to get the other elements so they can partake of the whole sacrament, not just part of it. Does it make sense to you guys? All right. And it contains continues... But, Scott, that, that's going to be the last thing we're going to look at tonight. That was already planned that way, so hold on there. Um, it continues, and it says it proclaims Christ's death as an atonement for the sins of His people and His future return for His people. That's what the Lord's Supper does. So we see that in First Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. He proclaims the death. That's the atonement part for His people. The, uh, till He comes... That's his future return. So there's a historical element to the Lord's Supper, looking back to the death of Christ, but it's also there's a eschatological element. We're looking forward to the coming of Christ. The, the Lord's Supper celebrates this entire period between the crucifixion and the return of Christ. And it is a means of sanctifying grace. If you look there, it says that It provides spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. How does the Lord's Supper do that? How does the Lord's Supper provide um, nourishment and growth in grace? We reach out by faith. Okay. By faith we take. Body is broken for us, yes, not just pastor Leo, but for us personally. And same thing with the cup, we take that cup in recognition that Christ, by faith, has, has uh, finished the work of redemption for us, and with his stripes, we are healed, yes. So we think about those things, yeah. 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 Scott. Uh, my thought was it, it it is because Christ said it is. It's, a, it's it's established as a means of grace where he says, you do this and I will spiritually meet with my people in this way. Not because there's anything special in and of itself, except that that's what Christ said he was going to do. So yeah. as he said... So I'm asking this question because there's no verse you can go to that says this and the Lord's Supper is a means of grace. There's no verse you can go and explicitly says, and as you do this, God is going to dispense you grace. But it is in the teaching of the scriptures. And I was thinking specifically, as you remember Christ... Right, as you remember Christ, as you hold on to Christ, as you're partaking of the Lord's Supper, uh, and uh, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism is super helpful in this when says, "As as real as this bread that I hold in my hand is, so was Christ's death for me on the cross." That's all part of remembering Christ. Remember, that's what we're doing. First uh, Corinthians 11, uh, 24 and twenty five. That we're, we're remembering Christ. So does what Pastor said, does what Scott said, and uh, that in that way, then some means of grace as you do, we dwell on Christ in partaking of the elements, then that becomes a means of, of grace. If you remember my prayer almost every Sunday when we uh, sanctify the bread and the, and the cup, is um, um, to, to, Lord, bless this bread to our souls because we partake of it in faith in Christ. That's the only way that then, as we remember Christ in that context, that becomes a means of grace. It also says it confirms... our union and communion with Christ and one another. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? We often uh, stay on 1 Corinthians 11 for the Lord's Supper, but 1 Corinthians 10 has a lot to teach concerning the Lord's Supper. The idea that as we partake, of, as we eat the bread, and there's a significance there too, I don't know if you know that, but Amy... Makes one loaf, and that's what we use for the Lord's Supper. Every piece of bread is coming from the same loaf. Unless she's not here and we use sliced bread, then it's different. But uh, <laughs> normally speaking, they all come from one loaf because of this concept that we are partaking together. We are, the body is one loaf, and we're eating of that same same loaf. Our union within, with Christ with each other, our union with Christ, our communion with one another. And it also uh, indicates covenant renewal there at the end. By partaking of the Lord's Supper, believers show and renew their mutual love and fellowship as members of Christ's spiritual body, the church. So it's not just me and Jesus, it's us and Jesus. You know, some people say, oh, we should look around. I know, that's awkward. But, you know... Um, it's not a chatty time. It's not a, hey, how are you? No time. But it's not just me and Jesus and nobody else. It's us and Jesus. It's a, it's a renewal ceremony. The baptism is you are entering into covenant with God. The Lord's Supper, are renewing weekly that covenant that we have with God. It also involves a renewal of our covenant vows of love and obedience to God. Again, in First Corinthians 10, 14-17, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one, one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons, Paul says. And then lastly, The catechism speaks of the manner of partaking. It says they were to partake worthily. They that worthily communicate feed upon his body and his blood. The Lord's Supper is for those who have a credible profession of faith. That's what worthily means here. In 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 through 29, Paul says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord... In an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Notice Paul says three things about those that are to partake of the supper in these verses. In verse 27, they must do it in a worthy manner. And the only worthy way is in Christ. So when it says worthily here, it doesn't say, oh, look at your works and look how good you've been this week. Look at whatever, all the good things you've done. No. Because the your best works of righteousness are what inside the of God? Filthy are just filthy rags. So the best thing you can offer to God is to say, God, look. Look at all the dirty rags I brought to you. Aren't you pleased with me? So partaking worthily has nothing to do with that. It has to do with who Christ is. And when it says that we are to... Partake it worthily. Communicate worthily means, are you in Christ? It assumes faith. Secondly, it says one must be able to examine himself in verse 28. Implied in that is that he is in Christ. Here is the in Christness. The in Christness represented by unity. So you you have to be in Christ. You have to be able to examine yourself. And thirdly, in verse 29, one must discern the body. The body here is the church. One must be able to evaluate his relationship to the church. And that's why we say that membership in the local church is so important in, in order to take the Lord's Supper. Because you, you're not really discerning the body. You really don't understand the church if you choose to not be a member of a local church. These, and these three activities can only be done, this idea of worthily can only be done through faith in Christ. And they do require a certain level of cognitive ability. When I say that, is, 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 that's why we require a profession of faith. You, you can't just, without a profession, take Lord's Supper. That's why we don't allow children without a profession of faith to the table. We don't set an age limit, but they do have to come to the, to the elders and explain at their own level what it means to believe in Christ. And we interview the parents. The, 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 does it look like they have a credible faith at home? And so on. And that's what it means to partake worthily. Scott, do you still have a question? Sure. Not for here. Not for here? Okay, all right. We'll get in the depth on that one. Yeah. All right. Any, any, any questions about these things that we were talking here tonight? Adam. If, if you have assurance, if you cannot lose your salvation, then what is there to examine each week repetitively? Um... The examining is part of the way that you persevere to the end. You examine yourself, you're examining not just yourself, but you're examining also Christ's work on your behalf. If you stop at just look at your heart, then you're doomed. So you examine also Christ's work for you. And as you do that, that's one of the means that God carries you to the end. Persevere to the end. The same way that we need people in our lives helping us see what sin that are blind spots and so on, we need to examine ourselves so that we can arrive at the end. Any other questions? All right, so the Lord's Supper is a gracious gift from our Lord to help us grow in Him and to declare who He is. Our Lord knows that we are physical people. So He gives us this very sensual, that is... something that we can interpret by our senses. Not only the preached word that brings salvation to people, but the visible word of the Lord's Supper that brings sanctification to people is a great, gracious gift from our Father. All right? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your gift to us in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Thank you that we can partake of it every week. Thank you that On your day, the Sabbath day, we can hear your word proclaimed and we can see your word in the elements. Prepare us for that, even on this Sabbath, and we pray to go before us and dismiss us with your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.